0: SECTION 27 OF THE DAY BEFORE YESTERDAY This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Miheva. THE DAY BEFORE YESTERDAY By Richard Middleton THE wool GATHERER When he walked down the streets with his head drooping towards the pavement and his hands thrust deep into the pockets of his overcoat, the grown-ups would say there goes poor mr x wool-gathering as usual and we children used to wonder what he did with all the wool and where he found it to gather perhaps he collected it from the thorn bushes whereon the sheep had scratched themselves or perhaps being a magician he had found a way to shear the flocks that we often saw in the sky on fine and windy days at all events for a while His strange calling made us regard him with interest as a man capable of doing dark and mysterious things. Then the grown-ups tried to dispel our illusions by explaining that they only meant that he was absent-minded, a dreamer, an awful warning to young folk who had their way to make in the world. This admirable moral lesson, like most of their moral lessons, failed because they didn't appreciate the subtlety of our minds. We saw that the wool-gatherer did no recognizable work, wore comfortably untidy clothes, walked in the mud as much as he wanted to, and in fine lived a life of enviable freedom, and we thought that, on the whole, when we grew up, we should like to be wool-gatherers too. Even the phrase absent-minded excited our admiration, for we knew that it would be a fine thing if our thoughts could travel in foreign countries, where there are parrots and monkeys loose in the woods while our bodies were imprisoned in the schoolroom under the unsympathetic supervision of the governess of the moment. Although we no longer credited him with being a magician, the tardy explanations of the grown-up's had, if anything, increased his glamour. It seemed to us that he must be very wise. He lived in an old house a little way out of the town, and the house stood in a garden after our own hut. We knew by the shocked comments of our elders that it had formerly been cut and trimmed, like all the other gardens with which we were acquainted. But it was now a perfect wilderness, a delightful place. My brother and I got up early one morning, when the dew was on the world, and explored it thoroughly. We found a goat in an outhouse, and could see the marks in the meadow that had once been a lawn, where he was tethered during the day. The wool-gatherer was evidently in the habit of sitting under a tree, that stood at one corner, for the earth was pitted with the holes that had been made by the legs of his chair. Being a wise man, we thought it probable that he conversed with his goat, and could understand the answers of that pensive animal, who wagged his beard at us when we peeped shyly into his den. In the long grass by the tree we found a book, bound like a school prize lying quite wet with the dew. It was full of cabalistic signs and we took care to leave it where we found it, lest it should be black magic, though now I would support the theory that Mr. X read his Homer in the original. Taking it all together, it was the most sensible garden we had ever seen, with plenty of old fruit trees, but with none of those silly flower beds that incommode the careless feet of youth. Our expedition enhanced our opinion of the wool-gatherer's wisdom, he, at least, was a grown-up person who knew how to live in a decent fashion. And when he ambled by us in the marketplace, his muddy boots dripping on the cobbles and the pockets of his green-gray overcoat pulled down by the weight of his hands, our eyes paid him respectful tribute. He really served a useful purpose in our universe, for he showed us that it was possible to grow old without going hopelessly to the bed. Sometimes, considering the sad lives of our elders, who did of their own free will all the disagreeable things that we were made to do by force, we had been smitten with the fear that in the course of years we too would be afflicted with this melancholy disease. The wool-gatherer restored our confidence in ourselves. If he could be grown up without troubling to be tidy or energetic, why then so could we? It amused us to feel that our affronted rulers were itching to give him a good talking to and to send him off to brush his clothes and his boots. But he was beyond the reach of authority, this splendid man. And one of these days we thought that we too would enjoy this delightful condition of freedom, for like many grown men and women, we didn't realize that liberty is a state of mind and not an environment. We had never seen the inside of his house but we could imagine what it was like. No doubt he kept his servants in proper order, and didn't allow them to tidy up, so that his things lay all over the room where he could find them when he wanted them. He had a friendly cat, with whom we were acquainted, so that he would not lack company, and probably on wet days, when he couldn't go out into the garden, he had the goat in to play with him. He went to bed when he liked, and got up when he liked and had cake for every meal instead of common bread. A man like that would be quite capable of having a sweet shop in one of the rooms, with a real pair of scales, so that he could help himself whenever he wanted to. Whenever our own lives grew a little dull, we played at being the wool-gatherer. But although he occupied such a large part of our thoughts, we never dared to speak to him, because we were afraid of his extraordinary wisdom, This was not our normal reason for avoiding the society of grown-up people. When one day a funeral passed us in the street, and we were told that it was the wool-gatherers, we shook our heads sceptically. The coffin was quite new and shiny, and all the horses had their hoofs neatly blacked, and we thought we knew our men better than that. But as day followed day, and we met him no more, our doubts were overcome, and we knew that he was dead. After a while his will was published in the local newspaper, and the grown-ups were greatly impressed because it seemed that he had been very rich and had left all his money to hospitals. Secretly we patronised him for their tardy discovery of our man's worth. It hadn't needed any newspaper to tell us that he was remarkable. But when some new people took his house and cut down all the bushes and tidied up the garden, we were really hurt. And began to realize what we had lost. Where should we play now these hot nights of summer when the hours passed so slowly and we couldn't sleep? They had made his beautiful wilderness as dull as our own, and our dreams must find a new playground. We never heard what happened to the goat. now that I am myself grown up, though children occasionally flatter me by treating me as an equal, I revert sometimes to our earliest thoughts and wonder what the wool-gatherer did with all his wool. Perhaps he wove it into blankets for the poor dreamless ones of the world. There are many, for it is not so easy to be absent-minded as people think. In the first place, it is necessary to have a mind. It is wrong also to believe that wool-gatherers feel no useful place in life. I have shown how Mr. X, lost in his world of dreams, was yet of real service to us as children. And in the same way, I think that we who live the hurried life derive genuine satisfaction from the spectacle of the dreamers' sauntering by. If they serve no other purpose, they are at least milestones by aid of which we can estimate our own speed, and if no one were idle, we would win no credit from our marvellous energy. Also, they are happy, and the philosopher will always hesitate to condemn the way of life of a man who succeeds in that task. Perhaps we should all be better off gathering wool. End of section 27